Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Silverback Films' Keith Scully about upcoming documentaries fronted by Prince William, Sir David Attenborough and YouTuber Jack Harries ahead of the COP26 UN Climate Change Conference. Vertigo Films' James Richardson on why the present UK production boom is both a blessing and a burden amidst the double whammy of Covid and Brexit. And MIPCOM director Lucy Smith on what to expect from next month's physical event in Cannes. Discovery and Liberty Global-owned All3 Media acquired UK natural history producer Silverback Films at the end of last year. The company, set up by former BBC executives Alistair Fothergill and Keith Scully, is behind some of the most groundbreaking, breathtaking and vital documentaries of our time. A long-term working relationship with iconic presenter Sir David Attenborough resulted in the series Our Planet for Netflix, and now another for the BBC called The Mating Game which debuts on October the 3rd after another new silverback show fronted by Prince William, called Earthshot – How to Save Our Planet. The programmes come as world leaders prepare to gather for the COP26 UN Climate Change Summit at the start of November, with Silverback's first project for YouTube, A Seat at the Table, debuting to coincide with the event. Scully spoke to Clive Whittingham about these developments and how the company continues to push the boundaries of natural history filmmaking. We spoke at the start of lockdown and since then um, fair bits happened with you guys and the all three media involvement. Why don't you sort of bring me up to date with um, with where you are since we last uh, since we last spoke, which was probably about 18 months ago, I guess. Yeah, so yes, we, we joined all three media, which is actually we're very pleased about. It's it, it, it's great being part of a bigger group and um, all the it's funny when you run a little independent on your own for a long time. People, people, when you get, you know, join a big organisation organization people will say oh you're going to be taken over you lose all your independence fantastic with all three is they they actually try to keep companies independent and be themselves but the huge benefit you get is suddenly as opposed to having to pedal your own canoe over everything whether it be deals whether it be hr whether it's be you know, legal advice da, 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 da. Um, it's really hard work and when you've got a company supporting you like all three all of that becomes really really good and you can push your ambition up and um, and obviously um, you, you know you for a small company especially in times of covid things like cash flow become quite nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah if you're part of a bigger beast um, again it all helps and I, th- I think for us it also yeah it means that actually all in all you can be more ambitious and carry on doing bigger and better things so um, we're pleased with that um we've been busy this year we've got um we've got we're about to release three series two on bbc one which is um we're making the Earthshot series uh which is prince william's um venture um to help save the planet and that launches on the 3rd of october at seven o'clock and at eight o'clock we have the mating game which is uh, our next um david attenborough narrated series for bbc one uh, i guess the title is says what's in the tin yeah <laughs> um, and then we're doing another very exciting series with youtube it's the first 
first thing we've done with you, you, YouTube, but it's with um, an influence environment influencer called Jack Harris, and um, it's called a seat at the table. And the idea is is that to give people around the world a seat at the table at the COP twenty six conference. So, um, um, so there are three things um, which are very very different for us. Yeah. So one of the questions that was on the talking points was how you um, you start bringing that debate to younger audiences and engaging audiences without lecturing them is involving someone like that and going to a platform like YouTube part of part of that answer completely you know I, I do see it as wildlife filmmakers or, or anyone who makes television about um, the environment it's it's a huge duty now to be able to um, to tell people about the problem because there's still the lack of traction in solving this problem is because there's a lack of information and that's because actually the communicators of this world like me have not done a good enough job so we've just got to you know we've really got to up our game um all of us to be able to get the seriousness of what's coming down the track across um because it's 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 interesting with something like covid people are quite happy to have their whole lives turned completely upside down to resolve it but the climate change issue if you know anything about it is just off the spectrum in terms of seriousness compared to covid and yet still people are reluctant so can we afford it and and you know we're we're in a place now where if you understand the science the problem there is no you know there is no decision to be made you just got to do it but politicians won't do it because there's this lack of understanding so the more we can do and you're absolutely right that the trick is how do you still engage a big audience and bring them into the subject so they can understand then the more unpalatable sides of it so you know, we've gone at it in a number of ways. I think our planet was our starting point. And um, we've, you know, Netflix released the fact that 100 million subscription logged on to uh, to watch an Our Planet episode. And that translates to, to between 200 and 400 million people. So depending on, on how you do the sum. Um, that was our start. Then we had the David Attenborough film, which I think really surprised Netflix in terms of the, the size of its reach and everything, which was quite a hard film. Yeah. And I don't know if you caught up more recently, we've done a film called Breaking Boundaries with Netflix, which is a, really the the science behind our planet, which is about um, how we're, we're, bro- we're moving. The world has, has certain boundaries where it, it, it likes to go back to being a nice, stable, happy place and, and how we're just pushing ourselves out of those things and leading to runaway change. So, so those are the, the components up to now on this journey. And I guess now being part of the Earthshot Prize, um, which I think again you know the combination have having prince william to front a big series about environmental issues and actually tackling some really quite interesting ones like clean air and waste you see probably quite a lot of films about the nature about the oceans which is the other one and, and climate change but air pollution which the un calls the silent killer you know there's not there's not a lot about air pollution and 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 i think that'll be a surprise to people and dealing with the whole waste issue of our planet is is an interesting one so yeah so we're 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 trying to tackle things in these different ways and diversify our platforms so bbc netflix and adding youtube to that i think is we're we're very happy with that do you find commissioning editors um are open to these to the issues that you've you've quickly rattled through there i mean at the end of the day they just want a big audience for an entertaining program don't they otherwise they they lose their job is 
is that is that a difficult conversation and is it an easier conversation with the BBC than it is with Netflix or how how are commissioning editors with these issues it does vary but you're absolutely right you you sort of some selling an idea like this is far far harder than selling the mating game or something like that uh, not being arrogant but sell yeah. back to the company we could sell them you know something like a straight natural history show to be very popular um and and um is easier no you have to work harder and the route we've gone down is in often if it's really hard we've we've raised our own money we've raised donor money so the Attenborough film was funded by donor money um Netflix then joined in us and let us use the footage and we came to a partnership breaking boundaries we did the same way so I think sometimes when you want to do things that are more challenging and um or a harder sell, um, you have to go to other places to find the money. Um, and that's just the reality of it. But, you know, with something like Earthshots, which is, you know, those are pretty, those are very straightforward environmental programs. The BBC readily embraced that and they wanted to, to do it. But um, I guess, so that you know, you have a big venture by the heir to the throne. Um, it gets, so it's, it's horses for courses, but you're right. It is one of the problems of getting climate change, especially, across to the public is yeah how do you persuade platforms and the broadcasters to, to go this way but again no i have to say youtube as well when we suggested the seat at the table to them we jack they they're really keen on it i think broadcasters are in a two-way split right now they know they have to be in this space they know that especially young audience want stuff in there but there is always the residual thing of yeah how much audience is this actually going to get and um often if the stuff isn't good enough it doesn't get enough audience so our challenge you can't blame the broadcasters you can't blame the audience you have to go back to the creatives and say no you've got to do better what's the how has it been different working with with youtube i mean quite a lot of your stuff with the bbc and netflix was was known for being very very sort of high-end blue chip big budget took ages to make and youtube is sort of modus operandi is the opposite of all of that it's like sort of quick turnaround and handheld cameras and low budgets and stuff so am i just lazy stereotyping you well no i think i think they i think youtube have changed Changed. I mean, they definitely, for their originals, they definitely want the high production values. And that's what we went to them with. And I hope when people see the shows, they will they will see that. Obviously, it's 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 probably a different pace. And also, I think the myth that there's it's all low budget is not true. I mean, they they the kind of thing that we're doing, they will they will match anyone. So um, they they're they're definitely investing well, and they definitely want high quality. But you're absolutely right, the the style and the way to do it has to be in keeping with a younger audience, which again is a good thing. But we hope when people watch them, they'll our mantra at Silverback is you've got to recognise it's come from Silverback if you if you watch it that mm-hmm. it will look different. Another one of the questions on the list was about um, innovations in tech, because natural history and and porn, actually, to be fair, is always uh, always out ahead in the uh, in the technological stakes in, uh, in in television and content. So I just I wonder what the next sort of turn of the technological wheel was going to be in natural history filmmaking, or is it this? Is it like going to be YouTube and things like that? That's, that's the next turn it's, of the wheel. It's going in a number of ways. So uh, we've done a co-production with NHK for the Mating Game, where we're doing delivering it in 8k now it's only the japanese right now who have an 8k channel um but you know the japanese in technology traditionally have always led the way so that's interesting and and obviously the resolution of 8k well 
I gather it's the end of the case because I think the human eye can't resolve anything more than 8K. So <laughs> that's the end of that. Um, but, you know, it does look astounding. So there's that in terms of the broadcast technology and natural history, you know, the, the thing that, I mean, the planet Earth was the first ever HD wildlife series and the quality of it just really cut through. So so there is that. I think the um, stabilisation has been one of the things of cameras that has really, really changed it started when with this company Cineflex when the, when we started using the stabilized long lens cameras to be very expensive but more and more you've been able we've been able to have cameras that move with the subject and that is far more engaging than tra- traditional one you know stuck on legs and drones are part of that system I mean drones now have almost made helicopter filming irrelevant yeah. um, and which is great because it's far greener and it's far better but but that's all to do with not only the drone technology but the stabilization and miniaturization is happening as well so we can see i think the next round of stabilized miniature cameras are going to be are going to allow us to do lots and lots of big things big developments i think in filming in the dark um that's that technology is getting better and better at but it's getting so good at the filming in the dark that because you get full, full color in the dark it starts to look a bit like daylight so it's 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 you know the, we've always shown darkness on film in a certain way and when you suddenly see it like well you know it's just it's just like daylight but you can see the stars it's, it's different i think the other trend that's happening in technology is it's becoming cheap and um so you know you can now a, a high quality 6 4k 6k camera like a red used to be prohibitively expensive for the amateur but there are now cameras like that have come out which are absolutely in the amateur range and they match the quality of the professional which just means there's an entry point for so many more people to be able to film high quality video so it's a bit like what the stills business did many moons ago and um, so so tech is not going to become a barrier I think soon and that will that will change a lot especially you know for allow people in the third world and all sorts of places people with not that much money to be able to set themselves up and start coming into this space did um did 3d just go away forever I remember when I started at C21 talking to wildlife filmmakers being very excited about 3D but also saying that the camera weighs as much as a car and the memory required to get the footage back from wherever you're filming you need you needed something the size of the International Space Station to get it back is is, yeah. is 3D just sort of not it has evaporated the, the only place I think it's existing right now is in IMAX and even most of that now is done by uh, dimensionalization in the post process rather than shooting in, three, in 3D but I don't know anyone right now who is filming in 3D. It never got so, around that accessibility thing that you've just spoken about with the other things, did it, it? Exactly. There was always going to be a television that was going to come out, which was going to be 3D, but then they still all had to have the glasses and you had to sit right in front of it. And it all just became too difficult. And I think the the in, at the same time with HD and 4K and what resolution going up and up and up, um, I think what people realise that with very high resolution, that was more than enough and yeah. so so the i think then the all the television companies just went down the the res, re, the resolution right 
clearly when they get to AK and they can't go any further, they're going to have to think, oh, hell, how are we going to sell more TID tellies? So I, I guess 3D will come back on the agenda. Yeah, it's like razor blades, right? Let's add another blade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the final point I wanted to bring up, I mean, I mean, fingers crossed, we're sort of nearer to the end of COVID than the beginning, we hope. Um, I yeah. mean, how is it still affecting your productions? And is natural history the perfect genre for it? Because like I say, it's two guys in a field or is it a nightmare because you have to fly around the world to get to that field for us it's been swings and roundabouts to be honest um we're doing a british series right now and that was good because at one point a lot of britain was empty and uh, we could still film uh, and and that, that, that that was fine and also we could get around britain we have found we've used a lot more crews around the world very successfully tends to be for things like earth shots and see the table which are more doc more documentary in, in style and they're very very good production crews and all sorts of places which you which you'd think are unexpected and they produce really really high quality material and i don't think the whole earth shot series has been made through the peak and we started this time last year so it's been right through the only the pandemic but i I don't think it shows. Uh, it still looks like a, a big international landmarks series, which is a tribute to everyone involved. But the bit we find difficult is if you want to get for certain wildlife stuff, you need a real specialist. And, and those specialists generally, they, they don't exist around the globe. They do in some places like Australia. It's got very good underwater camera. You know, they're, they're dotted around. But by and large, for a lot of what we do at the high end of wildlife filming, we still need to tr send the guy who can do the job or the lady and that's been hard and so we've often been chopping and changing locations and uh, you know the thing with covid is one minute it's all fine to go to somewhere and then two weeks ago suddenly someone changes the rules and you've got to replan and blah, blah, blah. it's been chasing a yeah a wild horse for the past year which is exhausting actually for the crew for the teams and and expensive right chopping and changing and quarantine yeah it all tra adds changing travel is all adding to the cost of the show Right. Yeah, it is. It, it, it absolutely is. But it's more the wear and tear on the people. And um, hotel quarantine is not something I would advise for your mental health. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, mental health. So is that is that local, like you say, working with local crews, which presumably in the process of doing that, you are upskilling local crews. Yeah. Is that no, going to be the is that going to be the big positive takeaway from from this? No, it's a definitely a, a trend which we're never going to go back from. I don't think the industry will ever. It'll never be the same post-COVID. Obviously, that's a good thing because we don't have to fly all over the world. Um, and I think all production companies are getting far more aware of their carbon footprint and and what's going, especially in the area if we're preaching to try to... Yeah, the it, was always the, it was always the contradiction in natural history filmmaking, wasn't it? It's like yeah. documenting well, a problem while also contributing to it in your own small way. Yeah, and if there are easy ways to get rid, rid, rid of it, that's good. As I mentioned earlier, I mean... Having a little electric drone to, to substitute an uh, aviation-guzzling helicopter, um, yeah. that has a hell of an impact on our carbon footprint. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so so that's, yeah, I think I, I think all companies are very much being stimulated to find talent around the world, and that won't, ch that won't change. Um, what, before I let you go, what's what's next for, for, for you guys then? Um, you mentioned at the start stuff that you, you 
got coming out shortly, but I bet it's stuff you can't tell me about. But what's, yeah, what's next for you? Guys? Obviously, it's always a it's always a real pain because we can't because we've got some really exciting stuff. We're doing quite a lot with Netflix. Um, we're doing more BBC series and um, and Disney. It's a really exciting slate actually. And I think what's exciting about it is it's very fresh and different and new because I think there's this there's this moment. There's always this huge danger with natural history, especially when it becomes super saturated, when everyone's doing it, what have you. The audience can get bored, and once they get bored, they go off it. Yeah. And and um, I've seen that cycle happen three times before because I'm very old um, and I know all the warning signs, and I'm seeing the warning signs now. And 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 so it's 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 going to be a, a really important time, I think, in the next couple of years for the natural history genre to reinvent itself and um, to bring in those audience just to wildlife and obviously the big environmental crisis. Comcast-owned UK satcaster Sky earlier this year cancelled buddy cop drama Bulletproof after a string of sexual misconduct allegations against star Noel Clarke emerged. Producer Vertigo Films is keen to move on after completing three seasons of the show and recently debuted the third of another Sky drama, Britannia, from playwright Jez Butterworth and brother Tom. Vertigo co-founder James Richardson spoke to Ruth Laws about the series New Sky Commission, A Town Called Malice, plus James Corden drama Mammals for Amazon, as well as why the boom streamers have brought to UK production has been both a blessing and a burden amidst the double whammy of Covid and Brexit. Jez and Tom and I, when we were talking about season three, we, we we thought the show had kind of in season two settled into the type of show that we felt like it should always be in terms. It was just beginning to kind of like get its get its tone and its confidence in the way that I guess, you know, these the, the shows, you know, take a bit of time to, to get up to speed. And so scene three, we just thought, let's let's kind of like push into all of the areas that we think the show can really handle. So, you know, we went funnier where it's funnier. We went more dark and horror when it's more dark and horrible and and more playful, you know, because it's a very reverent show. But it, it's also dealing with a kind of huge idea, which is, you know, the, the birth of myths and stories. And, and in this case, in particular, the birth of new religion so we thought that you, you know what's exciting about the opportunity that we've got because we don't have any books to follow and we have a kind of what you know we have a blank page to, to work from is is that we can just go okay what's exciting about this period of history and of course what's exciting about this period of history is everything changes including the origins of what becomes the most popular religion in the world so yeah it's been a lot of fun to play with and we've had you know lots of new cast and uh i hope the fans of the show are going to like it and I hope those who haven't yet become fans will become fans after this season. And I know it was picked up by Epix last year. I just wondered if it had been licensed or bought by anyone else. I, I, well, I think I think all of our partners have been partners that we've had all the way through, you, you know, from season from season one, Altice in France and, you know, HBO Nordic and Foxtel and Fox and all those guys. So it's been, we've been very lucky having having these international partners um, who have supported the show around the world. And I hope that you know this season you know takes it to wherever it's meant to go next and then on to your um next show mammals which stars um james corden and sally hawkins um i don't think the plot details have been revealed yet so i'm gonna try and pry and see if there's anything you can tell me about what it's about i think it's to do with marriage i read yeah i'm afraid that's something that i can't talk about except for the fact that you know all the things that you i guess that you already know that's something that we're kind of keeping very much under wraps until hopefully until everyone sees it and sees what they what they think 
And then you've also got a town called Malice, formerly greenlit by Sky. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Because my understanding, it's a gangster series set in the Costa del Sol, which sounds really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think kind of what was what was announced, I guess, a few months ago is what we know to date, which is a you know show set in the Costa del Sol in in, in the eighties. But it's you know it's, it's Nick Glove has created it, and that's a show that will be, I think, a lot of fun and with a lot of energy and a lot of great eighties music and costumes something that we all love <laughs> and i will just try and ask i just wondered if you if you had any other shows in development you can talk about N- nothing that we can talk about at the moment we, we've kind of spent the last two years two and a half years now i'm um, probably developing projects but you know we have we had various stages in our kind of in our plans over the last few years and one of the things that we wanted to do is is treat the last two years really as a kind of development process where having done what we wanted to do which is essentially settle in a couple of shows with Britannia and 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 then Bulletproof you know going on to their third third seasons we then wanted to kind of really concentrate on development so we've now got a phenomenal slate which will start going we're we're just about to start taking everything out to the market and and see you know who, who likes it I think we've been very very lucky so far in the you know three of the projects that we took out with um, Britannia, Bulletproof, and and then a town called Malice all kind of you know went forward. And Mammals, which is a, I mean, Mammals is Jez's project under the under his Street Hustle banner. But you know, again, that's that, that's something moving forward. So so I think we've been quite lucky that we've kind of been very careful about what we take out to the broadcasters. But so far, I think all of them have gone forward. Probably, I think we've, we've had one projection so far. So I hope that carries on. <laughs> I'm sure it won't. <laughs> Um, and what is your growth uh, strategy for the next three years? I mean, as I as I said, I think it's 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 been about a kind of like stages. So when we moved into TV and out of film, we basically first of all wanted to get some commissions. We were very lucky that we got our first two commissions almost immediately with with Britannia and Bulletproof, and it was about essentially consolidating that. So are we a company that can that can make long running series and, and keep them going? And we want to prove that we could, and 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 we and we did, and we can. The next stage of it was okay now. Now we've done that, can we just make sure that we've got further projects and can start kind of, you know, doing this regularly and out for, for for many other shows. And so that's our next stage now when we've when we've developed a lot more projects now. And so the next three years are about kind of, you know, developing those, developing the further series of any of the shows that we've got, if the broadcasters like. And I, I think the idea of just being, you, you know, we're one of the things that we prided ourselves on when we were in film is that we were um we always made our films on by on schedule and we deliver to in that instance distributors around the world and we kind of want wanted to build that reputation with tv and that's what we are now and you know mammals is a good example because essentially we're a production services company for that production you know so it's all about kind of reliability are we able to produce, keep everything on budget, keep everything steady, keep it on schedule and deliver to the broadcasters? And we've done that now on some big shows. So it's just about kind of going, okay, now we've proven ourselves, let's make more. Um, And you um, mentioned that you moved from film to TV. Are there any other new areas that you're looking into moving into? Uh, 
I think, I mean, we did a lot of kind of expansion when we were a film company only. We, you know, moved into distribution, international sales. We set up a post-production company, a VFX company. And then when we moved into TV, we actually kind of not got rid of them all, but basically honed in on everything. So we basically, some things we just went, okay, we don't need to do that anymore. Let's concentrate on what our core strengths are, which is um, production. You know, that's our that's our main thing. Production and marketing, I think, are the two things that we built our reputation on the film side. Now there's a kind of, you know, there's a changing scene with film, some of it positive, some of it negative, but the, the, there's potentially kind of new opportunities that the SVODs are creating for film. So we're kind of going, okay, well, maybe one of the things that, that we should be looking at, or could we be looking at, is moving into doing some, what I guess is just short form, you know, um, I guess people call them films. So that's something that we're kind of just looking into to see if it makes sense for us. You know, we made under the Vertigo Films film side, we made what 32 films. So we we really do know how to make films and we've made some big hits and and of course we've also made some absolute disasters as um no producer um w- w- would be without. But um I think that's something you know to to look into, but it's a it's such a changing world at the moment. So so we'll see what happens. Um, are there any particular genres that you're focusing in on? I think as a company, we've always tried to do things differently and to in and to innovate. So so we've always tried to be a company again from our film experience that makes things that no one else is doing or has done. So to give you an example, Street Dance 3D was the first feature film made in 3D outside of the US it was a, an enormous hit so yeah so Street Dance was an example of a very independent film independently produced independently distributed that went on to be a, um, a massive success and, and we did that in 3D at the time so I, I think one of the things we've always wanted to do is, is be innovators I, I think the other thing is just in terms of the type of it's not really it's not really about genre it's often it's about it's about cross genre it's about kind of mixing genres you know we're not the company that's ever going to make the brilliant shows that are things like you know Broadchurch or line of duty or you know any of those kind of things we'd never make them there's so many people that can make so much better than we can but what we will do is we'll take a, an idea or a genre and we'll put a slant on we'll kind of you know put a bit of a rebellious you know look at uh, take on it or a slightly kind of punk rock take take on it so britannia is a very good example of that and i think that that's that's very much as we go forward and, and look at other other projects if we're going to do if we're going to do a particular genre it's going to be an original take on a particular genre we don't want to just do something which is like it's just a sci-fi or it's just an action or it's just a police procedure or anything like that it's got to have a take and it's also got to have a sense of humor i think there's a kind of like you know one thing that we always have tried to show whether it's you know movies like bronson or shows like britannia or you know it's, it's like there's a there's a kind of sense of humor to it a sense of fun and I think those are all things that we'll carry on, you know, pushing for and and working with, you know, great writers and great makers who who just want to do something which is a little bit different, but also has got a kind of broad commercial and international appeal. What do you think the impact of the pandemic will be over the next three years? Over the next three years? Well, uh, I mean, hopefully it, we're just going to be used to it and we'll kind of, you know, the, the world will, hopefully, this is, I, I have no idea, of course, I'm not a scientist, but hopefully it's just like we're all used to it. I mean, I think it's been a, a, a testing time for the world and I think our industry, actually, I think our industry in some ways has, has been very, you know, good at managing it and being and adapting. I mean, I've, I'm now 18 months to overseeing two shows 
Um, one in the beginning of the pandemic with Britannia, which shut down in March, and then we had to pick up again in September and finish in February, and then starting Mammals. And I think, you know, it's been really, really, as this, well, this summer, I think, has been the most difficult summer, I'm sure, of anyone of any time in our lives in this industry. Interestingly, I don't think actually so much now is about the pandemic. I think the real issues now are about how sustainable the current kind of, you know, popularity of, of, of production is in the UK. I mean, you know, this is a this is a period at the moment where it's so busy, you can't get, you know, it's the most, it's the busiest time in British history. And, and it's, you can't find, you know, people, personnel, facilities, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And that's also coupled with Brexit, which means, you know, in a normal situation, if you've got any of those issues, or it's too busy, or something happens, then you're calling up companies that you know, in Hungary, France, Italy, wherever, and, you know, asking for help with facilities or people or etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, because of the paperwork involved, that becomes, you know, that, that that's not a choice. And that's not a possibility anymore. So I think we've got we're in just a, right now we're in a kind of perfect storm, which I think is really, really tricky to navigate. Really tricky. I mean, all of my colleagues are all saying the same thing, that this is really, really hard. I don't know what the next few years are going to be like, of course, but I don't think it's sustainable as it currently is. I think what we're experiencing will will be problematic if we carry on like this. What do you think should be done to sort of rectify these issues? Well, I think it's I, I think that's the, the problem. So you got on one side, you got covid so that's just a health you know that's a health thing and 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 let's hope that we just get into a place where it's about you know people getting vaccinated and not coming into work if they feel bad i mean you know being simplistic about it i think the other two elements are it's really hard to know what the answers are because we of course want the industry to be hugely popular and busy you know we of course want the uk industry to be a place where everyone comes and films you know etc but at the same time there is a breaking point you know there's a point where you're not getting excellence or we haven't trained enough people or we haven't got enough people through the system or they're being put into positions that you know it's too early and it's not fair on them it's not fair fair on people as well as as the productions and then you've got and then you've got things like you know what to do about brexit now you know i don't know what to do about brexit um that's but you know we're not the only industry suffering from that problem but just it's just creating it's created so much red tape and so there's no sense of you know the freedom of movement is like is disastrous and yeah we can't access facilities so so look they're, they're bigger questions that much much higher above my pay grade but i will certainly be a voice to say we've got to do something about this because it's um it's going to be a bumpy ride i mean you know unfortunately what's being created is a system you know what brexit has done is it's made our industry and lots of other industries less effective you know and um we should be we should be growing and growing and growing as we are in some areas like you know studios are being built all over the place but um yeah i think it's i don't have the answer i don't have the answers to what we do um i can't unfortunately change um, government policy um, and how do you think um moving on to um SPOD platforms how do you think the major players like netflix and amazon will fare over the next three years and are they the sorts of places you want to see your projects so so yes i mean obviously it's great having all of these people in the business um and they're you know hugely supportive of the british industry so so and of the industry in general so of course yeah i've got nothing i mean it's not a it's th- th- there's no negatives about what they're up to uh the more the merrier you know i think that i think all, all of all of us lot who are making stuff 
just have to carry on making stuff and we've got loads of opportunities of places to take things and you know that's getting ever more ever more expansive it, it feels and seems so so yeah i think i think that's all you know i, I the, the answer is definitely not restricting things <laughs> you know that's like that would be really silly in an industry so buoyant and what do you think platforms such as netflix commissioning original movies mean for companies and cinema um, particularly as obviously you have experience in both sort of feature films for the cinemas and um television series i mean good you know good it's it's great i mean i i've got no you, you know i i'm not one of these people that think that the s are a bad idea i think they're a brilliant idea um i think the opportunities they give to everybody filmmakers all over the world is fantastic so um and i'm not also considering i've always you know made things for the cinema i'm not i'm not someone who is obsessed about it has to be at the cinema i think it's wherever people want to watch it if they want to watch it at the cinema great if they want to watch it at home it's up to them it's not really up to us so I, th- I mean, I think it's 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 really it's great, and it and it offers loads of opportunities. And how do you think studios move to launch movies previously intended for cinemas via digital platforms um, has affected business? So sort of like Disney putting like Black Widow on Disney Plus and stuff. Well, look, you know, D- D- Disney and all of those all of those platforms have got to work out how how best they th- they want to do that stuff, and they've got to work with the filmmakers to work out how best to do it. So, you've got filmmakers who who really want to have their film shown on a on a cinema. Um, and that's really important to them then you know if they want, want to keep that relationship then then that is important for that platform if you've got filmmakers who don't mind or are, are ambiguous about it then then that's that isn't you know such an issue it's everything is a very very fast moving stream at the moment and um, lots of things are changing so you know there's going to be lots of lots of different variations of you see it at the cinema you see it at home you see it on your phone etc but as always it's the audience that decides all that not us I just wondered if you had plans to launch any sort of international offices and where you think sort of emerging territories are not not at the moment just because there's so much focus on the UK and 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 the English language I guess um and you know America w- would be the other choice but we've always been a company that that really enjoy the fact that we can ju- you know we're, we're one of the only independent com- companies left and we're proudly independent proudly British and actually we really enjoy the fact that we can just kind of carry on doing stuff now we partner up with other companies around the world and in different countries um, to make things wherever they are and we'll continue to do that but it doesn't feel like at the moment there's not a kind of huge necessity to start setting up offices all over the place because if we want to do something we just call people up and we get it made. MIPCOM organiser Reed Midim confirmed recently that next month's schedule market will take place as a physical event alongside a digital version with Netflix, WarnerMedia and the BBC among buyers set to descend on Cannes. While MIPTV this year and last year were forced to go online only as a result of the pandemic and the 2020 MIPCOM edition similarly streamed via computer screens, the annual October Cannes confab is going ahead in person. Lucy Smith, director of MIPCOM and MIPTV for Reed Midem, spoke to Ruth Laws about what delegates can expect, from the buyers in attendance to COVID-19 safety protocols, and why she's delighted to be bringing the industry back together again. We are delighted that we're actually confirming that MIPCOM will take place, uh, which is very uh, you know, important for the industry. You know, we know that for a lot of people, it's going to be the first return to an international market. It's going to be the first return, of course, to Cannes for probably about 18 months. 
So, you know, our, our, our priority is really to support the industry and help people to get back to an in-person business as safely and as uh, with as much, giving them as much confidence as they can um, possibly need. So I think, I mean, the market will be different, of course, this year, because it will have uh, a smaller footprint. The exhibition footprint will be um, smaller, but obviously we're making it a real priority to deliver everything that a MIPCOM needs to deliver as much as possible, which does mean it's having the high profile conference program with speakers. It means having, you know, our special events where we have, for example, we'll have a big opening night party. We'll have uh, the Women in Global Entertainment, its 10th anniversary lunch, we will have, which we organise in partnership with A&E Networks. We have a um, Diversify TV awards. So we're doing as much as we can to maintain sort of our, you know, landmark sort of flagship events. They may have to be organized a little differently, but they'll take place. And companies are still wanting to showcase their content. So we have uh, many clients organizing market screenings as they would normally do with just we will be putting them in the um, in one of the auditoriums and companies such as Better Film or ZDF or Three Media, BBC are putting on screenings for the for the buyers who are who are present. And it's something that we're, we're, we've also done a little differently as we've organised a beautiful events area in the Palais in it's Riviera 8, which is a beautiful, huge hall with windows that can open up out overlooking the sea. So you've got a lot of lovely, big, airy spaces. Um, and we're, we're making it a big priority to help content communities to connect. So within that, as part of our program, we, we're bringing together, for example, the, the drama community. We're working on a, on a couple of events and uh, masterclasses with Entertainment Masterclass. We're doing a similar program with for the Formax community where we're working with Frapper, which is being organised with their board members from you know, BBC Studios, Banny J um, and many other big sort of entertainment companies. So it's a real priority to, to give people the opportunity to reconnect for those who can travel to camp. And what COVID regulations are in place? Are, are attendees going to need sort of COVID passports and will there be testing sites or anything like that? So all delegates will need to have a sanitary pass. So it's the pass sanitaire, so it's like a health passport which is what you need in France to do anything now, which is for any travel, for any cinemas and restaurants, etc. So that means you have to have either a full vaccination um, protocol or you have been tested um, within the past 72 hours. We will offer testing on site close to the Palais. So anyone who's not got the sanitary pass on their phone, they can also just get a test very quickly. They can come out with their QR code and scan that onto the the app that is used for the sanitary pass and um, we'll be able to use that for the next 72 hours. So um, we just actually had an event organised by our company for the property industry in Cannes. So we've managed to kind of test all of that, MIPIM. It was a, a, a September edition and the, the feedback is fantastic. It's gone extremely well. Um, there's testing, everybody goes in, they get a bracelet for the day, so they're not having to sort of land, stand and queue for ages. And of course, there's then uh, inside the Palais de Festival, everybody will be, of course, wearing um, a mask. There's physical distancing, the normal kinds of things that we're all kind of used to now. Some physical distancing, more cleaning, 
um, in place, hygiene. We'll have our, our we're, we're organizing um, print at home badges so that people can just come and be scanned immediately rather than having to go into registration areas and have queues and people lining up. So we're doing everything we can to make it safe. And that's what we're spending a lot of time reassuring companies because obviously a lot of people are asking questions. Well, how does it work? So there's a lot of conversations going on to explain. We have a lot of information updated regularly on our website. And as we all know, things can change very quickly. So they're updated all the time and we're working very closely with our sort of trade body and with the um, French authorities, the local authorities, the town of Cannes. So we're confident and especially having just done an event now, um, it's fantastic. So we know how, how it all works and we can learn from the different experiences. And of course, there's been great events happening now. You know, the Cannes Film Festival happened. There was just been Venice has happened. So I think that, you know, we we really, you know, do feel that there's uh, everybody can begin to sort of understand how we can make things work in this sort of new way of needing to, to come together in person again. Um, and how will exhibitors stalls work um, sort of with COVID protocols, safety regulations? So, um, yeah, MIPCOM, um, the companies organise and put up stands that are exhibition stands that are various shapes and sizes. It's a very, very important branding tool for them. So for MIPCOM, when we went back to the market in July and went back to, 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 to all of our clients to say that you could review how you wanted to potentially rescale your investment and therefore the size of your stand or, you know, according to how many people could travel, etc. Companies did do that. We offered them either they can use their own decoration, which is what they normally do. But if it was easier for them, we have companies that can do stand packs. That's all it is. So some companies just because redesigning a whole new stand that they may may not need to use again is not necessarily what everybody wants. So some companies have said, okay, actually, I do want to change the size of my stand because I can't bring as many people because certain territories, you know, they, they may not be wanting to send anyone. So I'll take a smaller space and um, rather than redesigning, we can then say, okay, well, here you can use um, the, the, the local suppliers who we can um, work with on a, on a stand solution. So that's simply how we have just offered it. Our goal is just to give everybody as much flexibility as they can so that they feel that they can, um, you know, sort of uh, be able to adjust um, things according to um, compared to how it was at the beginning of uh, of the year potentially. So, um, and the actual layouts with the you know the 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 COVID sort of protocols actually don't change very much. It's simply there's physical distancing in terms of the spacing of furniture or. Um, if, the, if somebody has a reception desk, they will put a plexiglass on the front of it, as we're all sort of quite used to seeing in shops and banks, uh, et cetera, now, so that they have, you know, that that uh, extra um, protection at the reception desk. But there's no major other major um, changes that they have to take into, into account. Um, excellent. And I was just wondering if you could tell me what companies are coming. We've got a mix of companies, obviously, with uh, stands. We've got companies taking part um, with meeting spaces. We've got companies taking part just doing an event or a screening, but not actually having a physical presence. But we have around 150 stands. Um, some of the companies um, include A&E Networks, um, Beta Film, Media Pro, Studio Canal, ZDF, Media One, Intermedia, Lionsgate, M6, uh, AMC Studios, uh, France Télévisions, 
uh, Echo Rights, Abacus, and there's a whole range of companies um, coming and exhibiting. I mean, everything we, we make sure, obviously, everything's on our website and kept up to date, so people can go and look every day and see uh, who is coming in and who's registered. And obviously, we've got uh, an online um, database as well. We have the the pavilions um, from obviously France, with they've actually um, Uni France now is the name of the the TVFI, the, the Television France International um, Association. Um, they're there with a big presence. The Canadian Pavilion um, and media, obviously the European Media um, Pavilion is there, and many others. Um, so you know, as you can um, see, there's a lot of very important companies that already make a very you know good and uh, um, vibrant market, but. Some companies, as I'm sure you know, you're aware, and as many people are aware, and those are some of the conversations we're having um, all the time. Some companies did decide not to exhibit, you know, quite a while ago now because the planning is just too complicated, and if they didn't know if they wanted to do such a big, for example, companies with very big stands, um, so they, the, many of those companies will still take part in different ways. So that could be through. Um, through just sending a delegation, that could be through organising event or screening, taking part in conferences, um, and those those companies we are in you know regular dialogue with them to talk about how they can um, um, take part. We know that you know it, it, each individual and each company has its own kind of journey to decide to take in terms of international travel and coming back to a, a major market. So we respect that and our. Our goal from the beginning has been keep the dialogue open, give people the time to make those decisions, give as much flexibility as we can. Um, and that's what we've been doing. And, um, um, you know, we really um, I think that the, that dialogue has been uh, really important to the industry. So, um, um, yeah, that's uh, a bit more about some of the companies. And how many buyers will be there in total? Do you have any idea, like a ballpark figure at all? Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, with the the number of buyers right now, it's impossible to say. Um, I'd say that, you know, I mean, all of our resources today, we're so focused on having um, multiple conversations. Again, it's reassuring people about what's in place to help them make those decisions about their, you know, when people are talking about their own sort of um, um uh, security somewhere. So we're having those conversations to reassure them about everything that's uh, happening, helping them with their decision-making process. Um, and definitely what we're hearing is that many buyers um, uh, who want want to be there but need to take more time, and we've had that from the beginning. We've known that September is going to be a really key month. Um, but um, meanwhile, we've got a lot of great buyers who were confirmed. Um, just some some names that I could sort of share: companies like Netflix, Warner Media, um, Stars Play, MC, uh, TF1, ZDF, Sky, Canal Plus, BBC, uh, Nine Network, ORF. I mean, there's a multitude of buyers. Again, everything's up on the website so that um, everybody can see. Um, I think you know some companies that may have sent more buyers in the past may send less. Um, this year, and that we we totally understand, um, and you know some are taking part in also sort of through the program, through the conferences, or through um, through other ways. But I think you know we won't really know until we're much closer to the show exactly where we're going to land. But um, we we are doing everything to um, help the buyers make the the decisions and uh, 
Um, and there's a lot of great companies attending. So, um, you know, the conversations are going very well and we're very optimistic that uh, we'll have a very healthy number of buyers and a good, uh, making it a good marketplace. Excellent. Um, and where do you think the, um, the delegates will be travelling from? Will it be mainly Europe or do you think people will be coming from further afield as well? Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, I mean, countries sort of represented already, there's probably around, you know, sort of 50 plus. But you're right, of course, Europe is going to be the biggest um, number of attendees, um, particularly, um, I was I was actually just, you know, reviewing and looking at where we're at today. And I mean, it's very much France, UK, Germany, Belgium, Spain, um, Poland, Ukraine, um, US and Canada. We do have a lot of companies who um, are planning on attending. And uh, um, so they actually are, are still significantly um, well represented. Um, and then there's other territories where it's a bit more complicated at the moment, but they're still hoping to find a way to come. For example, you know, we're working very closely with our Russian clients to see if we can uh, help them with any paperwork they may need to to to, to be able to attend. Um, and you know, I think you know what what's um, important is being able to you know look and see who is registered and what companies are planning on attending. And as I said, everything is changing every day, but everything's being updated all the time so that uh, people have the best visibility possible. Excellent. Um, and can can you tell me a little bit about the conference programme? Like you've announced some of the speakers already. I don't know if you had um, any more you could possibly announce. Well, we've got, we do have quite a lot of other speakers who we, we, we're confirming. We just haven't actually got all of the names to announce today because we haven't approved, done, we're still working on the communication to get approved. But I think that what's important to know is that there is a, a programme that will have uh, the streamers, keynote series, lot of the major companies that are uh, developing a huge amount in the international market right now who will be speaking. We have our keynote series, as um, we announced already, with um, you know speakers such as uh, Alex Mayon from Channel 4 and Bruce Rejani um, from uh, WeMake and uh, Hugh Evans, um, the founder of uh, um, co-founder of Global Citizen, um, who are doing a major event actually on the 25th of September around the world. Um, and um, we are also, the programme that we are putting together with Frappa, we're very excited about because there's a lot of really major formats, companies um, attending, confirming their, their, their presence. And also we have uh, uh, a big drama uh, reunion, reunion event with, um, again, many exciting companies that uh, are signed up. We also have the world premiere um, screening that we are organising in association with Cannes Series. So that's um, 80 Days Around the World, the David David Tennant um, shows there'll be lots of talent on the, the pink carpet because Cannes Series has a pink carpet. So that was another important part of what's, um, what's going to be different at MIPCOM this year is that we have Cannes Series, the international TV festival running alongside MIPCOM because it's usually and it will be back at MIP TV next year in April. Um, so we're very excited about that. They just announced a major big French um, series, Valide, which will be the opening um, the opening show, we have the 80 Days Around the World as its uh, world premiere um, that we're co-organising with them and they'll be announcing the full selection of a very wonderful selection of international series. So yeah, lots of, lots of exciting things to, for people to come uh, to, to, to Cannes to, to enjoy. 
Excellent. Um, and obviously, uh, you mentioned earlier that you have um, you put on like a property uh, conference in in Cannes. I think you also attended Series Mania in person recently. Um, I just wondered sort of what you learned from from those. Did, did you take anything away from it? Um, yes, I did go to Series Mania. And I think that the main thing is that I was just so pleased to see a lot of people who were there who were so excited to be back at an in-person business event. Um, the the kind of excitement of um, getting back to speaking to people in real life as opposed to always being in, on uh, on Zoom or Teams um, was there. You, you you nothing replaces that feeling of people being in one place at one time. So I think that that was important. And then it, and just seeing how smooth it is with the the COVID protocols because I think everybody will do similar things. I mean, having the pass on your phone or you can have it as a printout. Having just the things we're all used to of, you know, washing your hands with gel and just distancing. Um, it, it was um, it was great. And, you know, and that was in Lille um, and we'll be in Cannes in the south of France looking at the sea. So I think it's going to be, uh, you know, even more exciting for, um, for all of our participants. Excellent. And I've just got one final question. Um, why is it important that physical events return? Well, I mean, all of the feedback we are you know, hearing and that we're talking about with our um, with our clients is, you know, the industry definitely needs a, a phys- needs physical um, meeting meeting places. They need the opportunity to meet in person. The 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 Zoom and the Teams is it's been absolutely fantastic. Everyone's kept business going. But I think not, you know, needing to pitch something, bringing a passion to it, and which is what the content you know industry is about. That you need to be able to um, to get together and uh, see see people. I don't think you know nothing. Would places the the power of the the face-to-face and then there's that you know serendipity of maybe those chance meetings that become so much more which are what can is always been known for and I think you know what we are expecting um in can is that when the industry comes together it really is gonna it, it gives this opportunity to take a snapshot of one moment in time where you're able to kind of compare what other people are doing take the get a feel for what's going on in the industry for the trends being all together during a screening in real life is not the same as seeing it online and feeling the audience. So all of those things mean that, you know, that is just irreplaceable. So I think, yeah, physical for sure is is going to be key. And I think, you know, behaviours may change a bit in terms of how many events people will attend um, and how much travel will come back. Because um, I think everybody, whether it be due to COVID or due to you know, climate change, I think everyone's much more conscious about should you really be just going for two meetings somewhere or go one day somewhere. And I think, you know, it may be that this kind of what we can provide is this sort of one stop an international meeting place um, in Cannes uh, twice a year. And I think that might be how people want to start saying, you know what, we don't just do lots of small trips, but maybe do a couple of big ones. But yeah, for sure, the physical is going to be key. I mean, digital has been, is very important and um, is here to stay. And it'll always be, I think, more and more an extension to the physical markets. Um, it's a way to, you know, connect community all year round. So, um, but yeah, no, the physical will be absolutely key. I think, you know, what what I wanted to, you know, kind of really just say, I mean, we've said, you know, MIPCOM is taking place and that's absolutely um, key. People are registering every day. 
for the show and we are confident that you know it's going to be the first major international market and it will be a really kind of unmissable and unfor- unforgettable experience it won't be a normal mitcom that we're putting together but we're doing everything we can to put all of the ingredients for you know a vibrant market and to make it a really excellent experience for all those who can make it to can and i think just one other detail that we didn't really um talk about was just we do, of course, have a digital extension to MIPCOM for those who do come to Cannes, but also for those who can't come to Cannes, which allows everyone to network in advance of the show. It's open already. It's a new platform where we're encouraging companies to put their content onto the platform in advance of the show so that buyers can start looking and um, our clients can um, generate leads from that and that will help them to better prepare their meetings, which would either be in Cannes at the show or online um, separately. And that will allow everyone to catch up on the the main conference sessions as well. And that will be open until the end of uh, November. So that's open now. Um, so we're saying to everyone, you know, just get um, logged in and you can start networking already. And that's for those who are attending the physical market or those who are not. They can already um, register for taking part uh, digitally as well. That's all for this episode. You can hear more by tuning in to the weekly review show on our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 